Please open with me this evening uh, in God's Word to 1 Kings chapter uh, 2, verses 1 through 11. 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We have recently begun this new um, series out of the book of 1 Kings. Uh, The book of 1 Kings began at the very end of David's reign. Uh, David was in his old age, and the question of who was going to be the next king, Solomon was the chosen one of God, and yet Adonijah, another son of David, uh, tried to usurp the throne. And so we have seen that struggle. We have considered, or we have seen how Solomon himself according to God's purpose and God's plan, was anointed as king. And now in today's passage, we are going to consider the death of David and David's dying words to his son Solomon. So let's now hear God's word, 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Well, when David's time to, die, time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Moreover, you also know what Joab, the son of Zeruah, did to me how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner the son of Ner and Amasa the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in time of peace for blood that had been shed in war and putting the blood of war on the belt around his waist and on the sandals on his feet. Act, therefore, according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace." But deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table, for with such loyalty they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. And there is also with you Shimei, the the son of Gera, the Benjaminite from Bahurim, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day when I went to Mahanaim. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now therefore do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man. You will know what you ought to do <coughs> what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his grey head down with blood to Sheol. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the time that David reigned over Israel was 40 years. He reigned seven years in Hebron and 33 years in Jerusalem. And so Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. And this ends this reading 
uh, in God's uh, holy word. Let's once again seek the face of the Lord in prayer. Uh, Lord, this is uh, your holy word indeed. We now pray that it would be both read and preached uh, to our profit and to your glory. Especially, O Lord, that we would respond in faith, love, and obedience. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. Uh, The commentator Matthew uh, Henry, speaking about these verses, says that David, that great and good man, is here a dying man, verse 1, his time to die drew near, and a dead man, verse 10. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. Uh, David dies in this passage. That great king, the, uh, the, the uh, ruler over Israel, the man after God's own heart, the sweet singer of the Psalms, is now dead. And it is a reminder that the same will soon be true for you. Uh, It is appointed all men once to die, and after that the judgment, Hebrews says. Now, there are many in this world who like to deny the reality of their death, push it out of their minds, uh, pretend that it's not going to uh, happen. Uh, I've seen it time and again. Uh, A person has a sick relative or a spouse And somebody comes to me and says, whatever you do, do not tell them that they are dying. Often I want to say, uh, why is that? Why do people say that? Is it because we are unprepared for death? You know, we need to be prepared uh, to die. And David, in many ways, was prepared. He was walking with the Lord. And here in this passage, as he draws near to the point of death, He has words to say uh, to Solomon. Uh, This is his legacy, his final words, his parting words to his son who will now be on uh, the throne. And I do wonder, what will your last words be when the time of your death uh, draws near? Now, perhaps not all of us will have the opportunity uh, uh, consciously Uh, to say a certain last word. Some of you might. Uh, But nonetheless, um, uh, the point is, uh, what is the legacy that we are going to leave at the end of our lives? How will we be remembered? What will we leave? Will we leave anything of lasting worth to the coming generation? Will we have a spiritual uh, legacy? And this idea of having a spiritual legacy for the coming generation, I think, is why last words are so important in Scripture. Uh, The Scriptures tell us of the last words of many of God's people. I think of Jacob, or Moses, or Joshua, or Samuel. And now it is David's turn as well. So it is good for us uh, to listen in, as it were, in this conversation that David has with his own son Solomon, as David uh, imparts his last words to his son for his benefit, but for ours also. Uh, this, uh, these dying words of David, we can break up into two uh, parts. First of all, uh, we are going to see him encourage Solomon to an obedient walk, an obedient walk in verses two and four, two through four, 
And then secondly, he's going to encourage Solomon to a righteous standard. A righteous standard in verses 5 through 9. An obedient walk followed by a righteous uh, standard. Well, the first thing that we see here is that uh, David encourages Solomon uh, to an obedient walk. We see this beginning at verse 2. David says to Solomon, it is true, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Now, be strong and show yourself a man. What an interesting phrase. It kind of reminds us, doesn't it, of Joshua's last words. Be strong and courageous. Be strong, have strength, and show yourself a man. What does that mean? I think it's, uh, it's a frequent wish of people even in our, own, uh, gen- in our own day and age that others would show themselves to be strong. Uh, but it's often interpreted in a variety of ways. For some, it means that they want uh, the person to be a good athlete or to know how to fight. Or to show strength often means to stand up for yourself, to not take anything from anyone. Or for some, to show yourself strong, to be a man, is to take responsibility. It's to be successful uh, in life. But David does not mean any of those things, first of all. For him, to be strong and to show yourself a man is to obey the Lord your God no matter what. Be strong, show yourself a man, how? And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as it is written in the law of Moses. Do you see the words that David, as it were, piles up one upon another? Ways, statutes, commandments, rules, testimonies, all that the law of the living God contains. The scriptures, these, Solomon, are to be your rule and to be your guide no matter what. And David is saying to Solomon that his most important trait as king was not, first of all, to be a decisive personality or to obtain considerable wealth and prestige or to secure the borders of the country, but rather his first priority must be to have a heart that was alive to God, one that was molded and shaped by God's word. Friends, that is the real strength. That is the character of a truly godly person. That we show that persistence in obeying the word of God absolutely no matter what happens. This means for you, young people, it means to not join in in making fun of a classmate, for example, when everybody else is doing it. For those of you that are adults, it means to keep on being faithful to your marriage vows, even when your marriage seems like a dead end and it would be easier to end it all. It means for each of you to keep on going to worship even when you feel depressed or discouraged and you don't want to go. It means to keep on doing family worship and teaching your children the word of God 
even those times when you wonder if it's making the slightest bit of difference at all in the way that they live. It means to stand by biblical convictions on the uniqueness of Jesus or in sexual ethics, even when the culture is pressing in on you at every side to bow to its narrative rather than Scripture's narrative. You see what we're saying. It means to have your life shaped by the Word of God no matter what. That's the mark of true strength. No matter what opposition you feel pressing in on you from the surrounding culture or from the devil's attack, or from your own sinful willfulness, no matter how much at times you would rather live your own way and according to your own standard, no matter how much pressure you receive uh, where, where others are saying, come on, do what we're doing. Rather, the mark of real strength is to stand by the word of God. This is my rule because it is what is pleasing to the Lord. There's so much truth in that little children's song that is taught, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Is this the legacy that you are living by and that you are seeking to pass on to the next generation? Is this what your life is saying, that no matter what, the most important thing is that I would have a heart alive to God and I would be faithful to his word? But standing on God's way, then, it makes clear, is then the way to blessing. And that's what David is saying to Solomon. You see, David doesn't want Solomon to be miserable, just the opposite. He longs for his son to prosper, just like any good parent would long for their child to prosper. But he's saying the way to prosperity is found in obedience uh, to God's commandments. Uh, Verse 3, okay, he says, uh, to do these things as, as it is written in the law of Moses, that... To this end, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Okay, he wants him to prosper. Uh, it kind of mirrors uh, what we're taught in Psalm 1, doesn't it? That opening psalm uh, to the Psalter that uh, begins with the word, Blessed, blessed is the man. Now, I want to be that. How can I be the blessed man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's what David is saying. Be strong. Be a man. Keep the commandments of God that you may prosper. Do you believe that that's the path to true prosperity? Now, by speaking here of uh, prospering, uh, he's, he's not saying that, uh, that keeping God's commandments is necessarily the way to make more money. It's not necessarily the way to live longer. It doesn't mean that if you keep God's commandments, you're never going to lose your job or that you're never going to lose friends. But it does mean that by walking in the way of the Lord, you will know the smile of God and ultimately peace contentment, and happiness, despite whatever your circumstances are. Why is that? Well, it is because you know yourself to be a child of God, you know his forgiveness, 
and you can have a clear conscience before him that you are walking with him. And that is the most freeing, most wonderful thing in the world. It is the way to true prosperity. And you then experience that prosperity in your relationships, in the workplace, okay, in your church life as you keep the Lord at the very center of your vision and of your life. Do you want to know true prosperity? David says, hear it from me. Be strong in walking in the way of the Lord's commandments. And this is important not only for Solomon as a man to hear, but Solomon as the future king to hear as well. He goes on, verse 4. He says, When you do this, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel." saying that Solomon's obedience here is tied uh, to his uh, kingly role, that David's dynasty was connected to their uh, obedience. Uh, This also finds a reflection in one of the Psalms, Psalm 132, and verses 11 and 12. Uh, make this uh, same point. Let me just read those words. Psalm 132, 11 and 12. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your uh, throne. But interestingly, uh, we also want to say, though, that, okay, here it seems that this is a, con- a condition. Obey, and you will remain on the throne. But isn't that true as well, though, that God, in the promise that he made to David in 2 Samuel 7, the Davidic covenant, that God gave to David a kind of unconditional uh, covenant. 2 Samuel 7 and verse 16. Without condition, it says, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So how do we make sense of this? Is the continuance of the Davidic dynasty dependent on their obedience, or is it not? I think here the words of Ralph Davis are really helpful. Uh, He says this, that the unfaithfulness or disobedience of Solomon or of any Davidic king would not negate the promise to David, but the text assumes there will be no enjoyment of the blessedness of that promise unless a king remains faithful. In other words, the promise, especially of a future Messiah, stands. God will send the Messiah out of David's line. That was an absolute promise. But that David should always have a man on the throne. In other words, that each generation should know the joy and peace of God's smile in ruling God's kingdom. That depended on their obedience. And that's why it was so important that Solomon uh, yet obey. That he could have a part in, as it were, this 
this, this legacy given to David and to his uh, descendants. It doesn't ultimately point to the Messiah, though, as well, who did supremely obey uh, the law of the Lord, whose strength was in keeping the commandments of God. He was David, great David's greater son who kept this charge uh, to its uh, completion. And so here it is, an obedient, an obedient walk. And might we take these things to heart here, that we would be strong in the path of obedience, that we would see that in that path there is true prosperity and the true enjoyment of God's blessing. But this moves us now to the second part of this, uh, of this charge, and that is the charge of a righteous standard. The charge of a righteous uh, standard. Beginning in verse 5, uh, the, David's last words kind of take a different tone, as it were. Um, whereas in verses 2 through 4, it was kind of a general charge for obedience. Now beginning in verse 5, it seems that he deals with some kind of unfinished uh, administrative matters. Uh, he speaks specifically of uh, three different individuals and how Solomon ought to treat these three individuals. It's kind of like, uh, you know, in our own country when there's a, a transition of power from one president to the next. Traditionally, they, they spend time in the Oval Office together and they discuss some of the affairs of nation. And the, the new president is kind of brought up to speed on a variety of, on a whole variety of, of situations. And it's that kind of thing that's going on here. David says, let's get down to a few administrative matters and let's, uh, let's, let's, let's cover these things uh, here. And uh, in particular, he gives um, instruction regarding uh, three, different, uh, three different individuals. And let's just go ahead and walk through these three, uh, these three pieces of instruction before we understand how we're what we're to make of this, and then how it applies to us as, as well. Okay, the first has to do with Joab. Okay, Joab is a, a very important figure through the books of First and Second Samuel. He had long served as uh, David's military uh, commander. He was, uh, through much of his career, loyal to David. He uh, was uh, strong. Uh, he was... Um, uh, hawkish <laughs> points. He was uh, a bold personality, and often he kind of went his his own way. He frequently used power for his own advantage. And here David points out two cases in particular when he did this, and that is that he murdered two individuals who were potential rivals for the top spot in the military. He murdered Abner and Amasa. And he killed both in cold blood during a period of, of peacetime. And his guilt is evident in, in both cases. But then, more recently, he also supported Adonijah in his failed attempt to secure the throne in rebellion against the clear uh, command of God. Now, David, in his own lifetime, for one reason or another, and we don't understand entirely what, it could have been David's own cowardice, which he showed at points, a lack of authority and backbone, 
uh, as, as king. Could it be that he uh, liked to continue to use Joab uh, in, his, in his own ways? Uh, Joab was a strong personality. He would have found it difficult. But nonetheless, David had failed to bring him uh, to justice. In much the same way that David had failed often to, to deal uh, in discipline with his own children, uh, David uh, was slow to bring to exercise discipline and justice in the case of Joab. But David now essentially says, what I failed to do, you need to do. Joab murdered two individuals. He was involved in this rebellion. And now, use your wisdom and do not let his gray head go down to Sheol in peace. And so that's Joab. But the second figure is one of Barzillai. Barzillai. Here is to be a more positive treatment. David says, verse 7, deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai, the, the Gileadite. Why is that? Because with such loyalty they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brothers. In other words, during Absalom's rebellion, David and his men had to run for their lives. Uh, in the wilderness, they were hungry and tired and thirsty. And from Barzillai, they received a generous hospitality and refreshment. It was an act of a personal sacrifice on Barzillai's part, not only in giving up the goods which he owned and freely gave, but also in putting himself in a position of danger with Absalom, who it looked like might be uh, the potential uh, new king. And so Barzillai, at great risk to himself, served the Lord's anointed king. And David honored Barzillai and his family for that act of service. And now David is saying to his son Solomon, don't let their act go unrewarded in the future. But rather, a place at the table is to always be reserved for the sons of Barzillai. This is essentially saying, this is a kind of pension for Barzillai and his family. Okay, they're being rewarded with for the rest of their lives, they're going to be taken care of, all of their needs. And this is to happen not because simply of a personal favor, but rather because of Barzillai's service to the king. And it's a reminder certainly to you and I that we ought not to forget to reward and to honor those who have served us and who have served the Lord. It is a fitting thing when we remember those who have done such acts of service and we do not forget over the many years. And so that's Joab. Next was Barzillai. The third now is Shimei. Shimei, okay? Shimei, the son of uh, Gera. He says about him, uh, this is the Benjaminite from Bahurim who cursed me with a grievous curse the day that I went to Mahanaim. That is when David was uh, fleeing from Absalom at the height of Absalom's rebellion. Uh, Shimei, who was from Saul's clan, the, clan of, uh, or, uh, the tribe of Benjamin, and Saul's clan in particular, uh, a man who apparently had a kind of vendetta against David, came down and he cursed David and he threw stones at David, and he showered him with dirt. Okay, that's not a good thing. You know, if you get married, sometimes they throw rice at you, and that's a good thing. Okay, if they throw dirt at you and shower you with curses, that's not a good thing. 
okay? And that's exactly what, uh, what they did uh, to David. But nonetheless, David did not execute Shimei for this act of uh, rebellion. But instead, he waited, and he ended up actually forgiving Shimei when Shimei regretted what he had done and begged David for mercy. And so David gave to him the promise that he, David, would not put him, Shimei, uh, to the sword. But one thing that is to notice is that the promise that David made was his promise. And now David is saying to Solomon, though I, by this perhaps rash promise, was unable to execute proper justice against Shimei, you nonetheless do not hold him guiltless for what he has done but bring his gray head down with blood uh, to Sheol well how are we to understand uh, these things that have hap- or these these charges that David gives in in this chapter it does perhaps seem a little bit difficult to know what to do with this uh, some commentators have said that David's words here seem uh, kind of petty and vindictive, that he's uh, bringing old matters up again, things that should have just laid, been, been laid to rest. Uh, and they say that David in this is hardly a, a model of godliness. Now, that's a, that's a legitimate option. In our interpretive options, it is true that not everything that a person, even a godly person like David, not everything that he says and does in Scripture are righteous and upright. Just this morning, we considered David committing adultery with Bathsheba and murdering Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, and then being very, very slow to the place of repentance. David was not a model in those things, but he was a model in his psalm of repentance. And so it's a legitimate question. Is, are David's words uh, good words here or are they uh, not? Is he holding on to old grudges? Uh, is David, by his advice, simply leaving Solomon to act like uh, the kings in all of the surrounding nations who, when they become king, kill off all their enemies and rivals as soon as they get the chance? Is that what is uh, going on here? Well, I don't think that it is. I think that to view David's actions here as petty and vindictive reveal a rather shallow view of the things that David is saying. Rather, David here is a king, and he is speaking to the next king of Israel, the one who stands as the magistrate, the head in God's stead over the kingdom of God's people. And he's speaking to him here about his official duties within the kingdom. And as magistrates within God's kingdom, they were tasked with maintaining justice. And by maintaining justice, to mirror the righteousness and the justice of God. And I think David is saying to Solomon here that as you become king... Do not forget to maintain justice and righteousness in this kingdom. The things that have happened during my reign continue to matter. And perhaps even where I, the king, have failed in the past, Solomon, you do not fail. And David had failed in some of these areas. 
He had not maintained justice as he ought. He was sometimes weak as a leader and failed to do what he should have done as disciplining his own sons and disciplining those who were in other administrative positions in his kingdom. But David here is saying to Solomon, you continue to do these things. Meet out justice to Joab, to Shimei, but continue to reward Barzillai and his family for the good that they have done. Be a king who executes justice properly. Well, what are some lessons that we uh, can learn uh, from this, uh, from these words of David? And I uh, can think of three things in particular to draw out. First of all, that it is important for those who are in authority to maintain righteous standards and to mete out justice, both in punishments and rewards. Well, dear friends, it is so important that uh, the civil rulers uh, of any uh, territory, whether it be a town or a state, or a nation, be those who are concerned with what is right, who act according to the law, who execute it impartially, and who mete out justice where it is appropriate. It is the job of the civil magistrate to punish wrongdoers and to reward those who do right. Paul says that clearly in Romans uh, chapter 13. And even as it is true for our civil government, so it is true for those who rule in other spheres as well, for church leaders to exercise church discipline faithfully and impartially, but to maintain a righteous standard within the church among God's people. It's important for those who are leaders within the home, fathers in your home, with your children, how important it is that we maintain a righteous standard within the home. And when, when rules are broken and laws are broken, that there be consequences for, uh, for those things. That when good is done, that those things are rewarded. That is one of the job of parents within uh, the home. So it is important for those who are in authority to maintain righteous standards and to mete out justice. Secondly, though, a second application is this, okay? That it is important to realize that rebellion against God's appointed king deserves death. Rebellion against God's appointed king deserves death. And is that not ultimately what Joab and what Shimei were guilty of? Joab broke the law of God. He did those things which the king had told him not to do. He asserted his own will over the will of the king. And though it seemed for a time that Joab was going to escape, the point is, in the end, he does not. And same with Shimei. He cursed God's appointed king. And he never exercised genuine repentance from the heart. He was not a changed man. And it seems like he gets away with it for a period of time. But the point is, in the end, he does not. What an important lesson this is. For ultimately, there is even a greater king than David or Solomon, who is king of all the universe, and it is King Jesus. And he rules from the highest place, far above every 
principality and power. To him every knee shall bow. And dear friends, realize that to set yourself in rebellion against this king is ultimately to deserve death. He is the Lord's anointed one. He is the appointed king. Do homage to him. And no matter how much it seems that the people in this world defy this king and get away with it every day, they continue to walk the streets and live their own lives and seem to pursue their own dreams. And they say, what does it matter what we think of Jesus Christ? My life doesn't change by what what I think of Jesus Christ. The point is that none ultimately defy God's appointed king and get away with it. Okay, There is ultimate justice uh, for those uh, who defy him. There is a certainty of hell for all that rebel against uh, the Lord. But then the third lesson is this. And it is, it is this. It is, it is important that as we pass from one generation to the next, that the next generation does not grow lax in its judgments. I think that's an important point here. David is saying... I was king. These things were wrong. Solomon, when you are king, these things are still wrong. Isn't that such an important lesson for us today? That as we pass from one generation to the next, and from that generation to the next, we are to measure the standards of righteousness not by the changing tides of what our culture says, not by the winds of what our culture says, But friends, we measure it by the unchanging standard of the word of God. That always must be our measure of righteousness. Those of you who are children and young people in this room, hear me for a second. Okay, you are not the first person in the world to be young and to think that the world has changed since that old world that my parents lived in. Okay, when I was young, I thought the same thing. Okay, And when my grandparents were young, they thought the same thing. right? But dear friends, what we need to realize is that amidst all of the cultural change about what is right and about what's wrong and what's acceptable and how we should live, amidst all of that cultural change, there is a living, eternal God who reigns and rules over it all. And what he says continues to be right and true for today's generation as much as the last one, as much as the one before that. And what we are called to do is to remain faithful in our generation. That's what Solomon was called to do. And that's what you and I are called to do as well. Do you see, if we give in on these things, if, if we, as it were, don't listen to the words of David and say, ah, uh, eh, obedience, walking in the ways of obedience, that doesn't matter. Uh, this righteous standard, I'm just going to do my own thing, David. I don't want to listen to you. You see, if we begin to act in that way, then what we've essentially said is that we have no need for the Lord Jesus Christ ultimately either. Because Christ Jesus came. As to help those who are lawbreakers, those who have failed to obey the unchanging standard of the word of God. He kept that standard perfectly for our sake, and it is in him that we have everlasting life. 
So let us be those who hear the words which David says, his legacy, his dying words. Might we hear them? Might we make them ours also? Might we be those who remain faithful to this legacy and pass it on as well to the generation that follows us? Uh, Let's pray together. Lord, our God in heaven, we thank you for these dying words of King David. And we do pray, O Lord, that uh, even though these words were at first intended for Solomon, uh, they are intended for us as well. They are found in your perfect word, which is uh, useful to equip the man of God for every good work. And Lord, we pray that in our day we would be strong and courageous in keeping the commandments and walking in the ways of our God. That we would know prosperity from your hand as we do these things. We pray also, O Lord, that we would, even in our day, maintain your righteous standard. 